Tonight, it's the last chance kitchen finale. One of these chefs will return to the competition. Sarah Bradley, Top Chef's Kentucky runner-up, may have a thriving restaurant, but her desire to be Top Chef World All-Star was too grave an opportunity to pass up. I can win this. It's just another day in the life of Sarah kicking ass. I'm not ready to go home. There is a competitive drive in me. I wanna be back, I wanna win, I wanna prove I can do it. And I would really like for there to be a female in this competition until the end. Welcome to the Eat Your Content Podcast. I am your host, Rich Herrera. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. You have a lot to choose from, but you chose my little pod, and I appreciate that. Uh, so follow us on socials at Eat Your Content and uh, at Rich Herrera. Just a few programming reminders. Um, I am going to be doing uh, the breakdown of The Bear Season 2, so make sure you follow on all your podcast providers of choice uh, so you'll know when those drop, and uh, you'll be able to hear those podcasts when they come out. A uh, special guest with me today, we just finished recapping uh, Top Chef Season 20, and I'm very happy to have Chef Sarah Bradley, runner-up, uh, on the pod today to, to do a, a quick interview and, and talk about her experience uh, on the show. She was a finalist on Top Chef Season 16 in Kentucky, uh, also a finalist on Top Chef Season 20 World All-Stars. She's the chef proprietor of Freight House in Paducah, Kentucky, and, you know, just a super mom and all-around nice person. Chef Bradley, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, thank you. Uh, so I'm just going to start with this and get it out of the way, and we'll talk about other things. That damn liver. Oh, that liver. <laughs> that oh, liver. Do, do you just wake up in a cold sweat thinking about that liver? You know, I think until the actual episode aired um, and I got to see what the judges, you know, said behind the scenes, like my husband and I would be sitting around watching TV and like, we just look at each other and say like, oh, that fucking liver. Like, you know, we <laughs> looked at each other and our eyes, like we both knew exactly what the other one was thinking. You know, or I'd be like, I'd just get a text in the middle of the day, like, oh, the damn liver. Like, yeah. But, um, you know, you live and learn and you just, you move on, you know? I think Southerners across the, the, the country let out a collective groan or like, oh, no, because as as the finale was progressing, I, I was thinking, man, she's going to pull off the upset of the year in Top Chef history here because Buddha was on a heck of a run uh, leading up to the finale. And, I th and you were just coming off a of last chance kitchen. I thought she's going to be she's going to pull off the upset. She's going to be like, you know, coming out of last chance kitchen and, and dethroning what our a lot of people are calling the goat, you know, of top chef. So, so what, what were you thinking there when, when you saw that happening and, and thought, Oh, well, I think I'm done. <laughs> well, so, so I have been a, a lifelong fan of top chef, you know, and I, um, it's really interesting to say people like people to say, you know, Oh, Buddha studied it so much. And, you know, Buddha and I had many conversations over the time of the show about strategy and how we both really understood it. And, um, you know, I knew that when I was putting that liver on the plate, I was thinking, well, it's not going to send me home because there's no way to go home. But um, if I don't win all of the other courses, there's no way I'm winning. And what happened is, is I did win all of the other courses. I think um, that most of the chefs would agree. And I think the judges agreed. And I think that Tom Caligio even, um, you know, made sure that was known on Twitter, but, um, that liver man, it just, just, it was so, it was so undercooked. You know, he even told me at one point, he was like, listen, if you had overcooked it, 
Or if you'd even just cooked it a little bit more, the conversation would have been that maybe the dish ate a little sweet. He's like, but it was just such a standout point that the liver was so undercooked. Yeah, I was going to mention that that Tom Colicchio mentioned on Twitter. So you got to you got to appreciate that validation at least um, from Tom in in the Twitter sphere, uh, saying that you would have won had that liver been cooked to temp. Yeah, you know I appreciate it, and it's also like like I guess it also just gives it it validates you know that um, that like your hard work was recognized and that your meal was excellent. And you know I've been uh, a cook and a chef and a human being long enough to know that like one mistake is not the end of the world. And so, you know, right. I didn't win top chef again. I got, you know, <laughs> second place again, but um, you know, I think that uh, I, it's okay. It's okay. It's not, you know, I, I have this, like I have an amazing restaurant, an amazing family. I have all these other things. And so you just kind of move on from it. And um you know, if I had won Top Chef the first time, I wouldn't have had this opportunity to come back and do, or I, I, maybe I would have had the opportunity, but I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have been back here on World All-Stars. And I think I got to show a lot more on this season than I did my first time around. So, yeah, I'm satisfied. Yeah. So uh, when I did my recaps, I did episode recaps with um, Top Chef Season 7 alum Kenny Gilbert. I don't know if you're familiar with his work yeah. or anything, but we were talking about t the Top Chef kind of family. And he said, you know, even even if you lose, you still win um, because of the, the doors that it opens for you post Top Chef. So, you know, I think you're right. You, you, we, we talk about the liver kind of jokingly like, oh, that damn liver. But really, you, you've been on the show twice now and, and your career is just is just at the, you know, just going to blow up in, in, in many ways. Yeah. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to be not just on the show twice, but the entirety of the show twice. So like right. some people get on and maybe, you know, they make it out like, you know, fifth or sixth, and then they come back for another all-stars and they make it out, whatever. You know, I've made it all the way through both times there. I think, um, I think Brian Voltaggio has done it. And I think um, Sheldon, maybe Sheldon has done it. I'm not sure that, that I think that that's it. I don't think there's anybody else. So um you know, maybe Gregory Gordette. I can't remember if he made it onto the last one or not because I know he hurt his back when he was over there for the finale. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, so you know, I'm kind of in a, a class of my own. Um, yeah, I'm kind of in that like um, almost always the finisher, but just not. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Buddha, Buddha, and yourself are in that rarefied air that you, that you're yeah. both winners and both finalists. Um, in two different seasons of Top Chef. So yeah, no no knocking on you for sure of being a finalist twice. Um, so let's let's kind of go back. I want to talk a little bit about your background. So um, tell us a little bit about your background and how kind of those roads led to Top Chef. Um, you know, I I grew up in a family that, um, you know, my mother cooked dinner. We always had a, like a family dinner every night. I mean, Sunday, Sunday dinners were like always a big, huge ordeal. So I grew up, you know, um, in in kind of the south midwest um area that exists in western kentucky um and i just food was always my thing um you know i when i had moved back to paducah and opened um freight house in 2015 i got this weird phone call and it was like uh from a friend of mine Weta michael who's a, a very well-known chef here in um, kentucky and she was like listen i turned your name over to the top chef people um to see if maybe like you wanted to do top chef and i thought absolutely not like i've watched <laughs> it on tv 
I love it, but I am not willing. I don't want to leave my restaurant, my baby of a restaurant that had been open, you know, just a couple years. Um, I don't want to leave. I, you know, I was going to have, I just got married. I, there's like all these things. I didn't want to do it. Um, but the more I talked with them and the more I thought about it. And then my mother told me that it was like my civic duty to do top chef. Civic duty. <laughs> uh, civic duty. You know, here we're in this little tiny town and she's like, it is, you've got to go on there. You got to represent Paducah. You got to represent all the, you know, the women in Kentucky that have moved away and come back to, um, you know, start a business of their own. Like you have, you know, you, you, you are a good representative and you need to do it. And so I decided to do it and it's, it's just been, it's been life-changing, which I think any other Top Chef contestant could tell you, Top Chef changes your life. So Yeah, absolutely. So how how soon, or well, I don't want to say how soon, it's been a few years, but uh, how did you react when you got the call for season 20? Like, did, did you know that was coming or did it com- come completely by surprise? You know, they, um, they called me to do season 17, which was right after mine. It was an all-stars season. And they called me to do it. But I actually, when I, when the season 16 finally finished airing on Top Chef, like on TV, I was 37 weeks pregnant or something. So I had a baby just a couple weeks after um, Top Chef finished airing for, on TV. Um, and so there was no, I was like, no, I'm, I'm not going, you know, I mean, they're, you know, these shows take about 10 months to shoot. It's like 10 months between like when it shoots and when it kind of finally airs. And I was like, nope, I can't go. You know, my child will be three months old. I said, but call me the next time. And they did. They called me the next time. And uh, my husband and I had talked about it a lot. And he would always say, you know, you've got to go back. Like if you get the chance, you've got to go back. So when they called, um, they were like, do you want to do it? And I was like, yes. And they're like, do you need to like talk to anybody about this? I was like, nope, we've already talked about it. My husband's been putting it out in the ethos for years now, like talked about it. I'm going, I'm ready to do it. Sign me up. And they were like, okay, well, this is great. So yeah. That's awesome. So now in the show, they, you were, you were a new mom when you were filming season 20. Um, and one thing that I thought was probably the most badass thing I've seen on reality TV is, is you talking about, you know, pumping milk and shipping it back home. Like being a mom doesn't stop just because you're on a reality TV competition. Kind of talk to me about being a new mom and, and filming that. Yeah. So my daughter Lula is my oldest daughter is four and she was, you know, born just right after season 16 finished airing. Um, and then I had a new daughter, Hazel. She, when I left, she was nine months old. And, um, you know, I just, I have been a big um, supporter of women, men, people not having to choose if they want to be in this industry or they want to be a parent, which is a lot of times um, something people are faced with, specifically um, women in this industry. And if you do want to stay in this industry and have a family, it's really going to be hard to breastfeed and pump and all those things, because what are you going to do at seven o'clock? Say, sorry, it's seven o'clock on a Saturday night. I got to step off the line and take 30 minutes to pump. It just doesn't, it's not conducive. It's not conducive um, to the lifestyle of being, you know, a, a parent or a breastfeeding parent. And so, so I thought, you know, I talked about it with my husband and I said, you know, should I, should I wean her? Should I be done? And he was like, well, do you want to? And I said, no, and I'm only going to be gone for 10 weeks. So I feel like I could pump the whole time. Um, and I brought it to top chef and I said, you know, this is something that I'm going to do. And they were like, okay, you just let us know what you need and we'll take care of it. Uh, you know, and I never asked for any special considerations on the show. 
I never asked for special time to pump or anything like that. I just did it wherever I was, in front of whoever I was. I did it in interviews. I did it on car rides. I did wherever I needed to, in front of whoever needed to. And and I just kind of um, took it as this moment to educate because breastfeeding has come, become um, a lot more mainstream, but pumping has not. People are still sitting in the liquor room and in the, you know, employee bathroom pumping. And so um, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to take hold of this and I'm going to show it to the world. And it's been wonderful. And the support that I've received from the pumping community has just been outrageous. Yes, it was. I mean, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a mom, especially obviously, but it was really inspirational just to watch that you know, for, for women, like you're saying in the industry, it's, it's, it's different than, than what men have to go through, right? Because you, you have that additional challenge of, of being a mom and, and, and trying to do all that at the same time. And you prove that you can do, do both, you know, and, and yeah. that was really inspirational to watch. So, so thank you for that. You. Um, another thing that I appreciated so much about you, especially on season 20, probably, um, more, more so appreciated on season 20 than on season 16 was, the way you reflected and uh, shown Southern cooking culture, especially on a global stage. Um, there's a lot of things that were on the show that we'll talk about here in a little bit later that us as Southerners take for granted. And the international food is like, Oh, what is that? That's, that's brand new. That's, that's really interesting. And, and we've been doing it since, you know, we were, we were kids, you know, I was raised in, <laughs> I was raised in Georgia. I lived in Alabama and Tennessee for a good chunk of my life. So, um, but being Filipino, I, I had Filipino food and Southern food. So, um, mm. seeing things like on episode one, the pot liquor episode where they were like, Oh, it's, it, it, doesn't look prettier. What is this? And it's polygraph. Like I knew what you were going for. And, uh, and I was like, Oh, that's brilliant. And then they just didn't understand it. What were your thoughts going through, um, that even that first episode about pot liquor and you're like, ah, maybe, maybe I shouldn't do so much Southern food or, or were you right at that point? Like, I'm going to stick to it. You know, what was so funny is that when we set that down and I said, Oh, pot liquor, like one of the, um, chefs from from england was like this is liquor and tom was like no this is like it's pot it's like a thing it's like an actual thing you know they and for me i thought that that dish uh, you know here's a here's a little behind the scenes for top chef if you can't relate your food to the challenge then it's sometimes worse than undercooking the protein like you've got to you can't just put up whatever you want and the judges know when you just put something up and find like a sneak around to try to relate it to the challenge. And I myself, when they said do a vegetable focused dish, I thought, oh, my God, not only is this like a vegetable focused dish, but I'm talking about using vegetables that aren't traditionally viewed as something you would eat. And I'm talking about using the byproduct of cooking vegetables as one of the main components. So I thought that my dish like hit all of the marks and um, that's a dish that I've done in some way or form times before. And so I knew it was delicious. Um, I think it was one of those that was like a little like, oh, God, what is this woman serving us? Like weeds and like leftover pot liquor? Like what is happening right now? Um, but it didn't it didn't sway me from trying to stick to my kind of like, you know, weird Southern Jewish Midwestern Appalachian style of cooking. It, it probably, if anything, pushed me more to stay true to myself. 
I mean, because it's so easy to to look at the internationalness of season twenty and go, oh, I need to I need to tone down my my southernness because they're just not going to understand it or they're just not going to get it or they're not going to like it because you know southern regional food is is very regional, right? It's very regional to the south and and bringing that overseas out. I, I was so proud. I was so proud at that moment. I said, yeah. this is this is where Sarah's going to go. If this is where Sarah's going to go for the rest of the season, it's going to be fantastic. And and sure enough, you did. You pushed southern culture and southern heritage through the entire season and i was so happy to see it and and every time you pulled out a, a traditional southern dish or southern flavor uh to something i was like yes there it is i love it so so yeah. thank you for that so um restaurant wars was a little different this year and i want to yeah. talk to you a little bit about that because they didn't really have a front of house or they not didn't really didn't have they didn't have a front of house or executive yeah. chef role that's traditionally part of the drama of a restaurant wars um you kind of took on that front of house role a little bit in informing the staff and um what the menu was and how to serve and everything but um to me i liked the new version of restaurant wars as a viewer i always found that okay. buying napkins plates and artificial plants for for a fake restaurant was boring to me that was that was not my you know i would that was my time to go make a sandwich and then come back when the cooking actually started what did you think of this new version of restaurant wars you know i think that this new version of restaurant wars fit the um fit the space that we were in so for season 16 we were in this huge warehouse where they built three, you know, we had three teams on my season where they built this, these three portable kitchens with these three dining rooms. And we were in a warehouse and we had to like fill that space and we had to get it all done. And I did front of the house and I loved it. Um, I'm really involved in the front of the house at my restaurant. It's a totally open kitchen. And, you know, I'm there expediting on the line every night and I step behind the bar, go to the host. Team. I do whatever needs to be done. Um, and so I love that aspect of dining um, and restaurant owning. But I think for this one, you know, this was a three-star Michelin restaurant. Like this place, this was like, I just can't even explain how amazing the kitchen was. You know, velvet, like beige and pink and gold and wood, like all just like weeping from everywhere. And I think that it would have kind of made a mockery of the space that we were in to like let us go out there and just you know hope and wing it with a bunch of staff that didn't know what they were doing so i loved that they were respectful of claire's space i think that was a big part of it um you know but i also think that the reason our team did so well is because we recognized that we couldn't skip on that even though it wasn't part of the assignment we're like and essentially it wasn't a part of the assignment. It was something that couldn't be overlooked. So I made this huge pamphlet with like every chef, their dish. I like broke it all down, you know, what pieces of silverware we needed for the dish, what wines we prepared to, prepared to be paired with the dish. And then I went even like one step farther and wrote like a bio on every chef, like how they placed in their season, where they were from, their age, their hometown, what style of food they cooked, what was the inspiration behind the dish they were serving. And all I had to do was go over it with one guy. And then he was able to take that out and present it to the staff that he was with. And so I think that, you know, they were very well informed on what they were doing, and it probably gave them some ownership of what was happening 
And I think that that's another reason we did so well. That and you had three Americans who had already done restaurant wars on one team. And we knew we knew what was expected of us. Yeah, you guys killed it. And I, and I think your whole menu, it, this was probably one of the clearest winner and not winners of restaurant wars that I've, I've seen in a while. Um, I, I think you got from the onset, I thought this, this team's got it. They got it together. And then when you mentioned in judges table about, you know, writing down that service Bible, essentially. I, I think that was uh, a huge key to winning. Speaking of your meticulous note-taking, in one episode, you said you kept a manual spreadsheet of everything that was going on. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you still have that, like, framed somewhere? Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, I still have it. I mean, I'm, like, sitting here at my desk right now, and I, like, looked over, and this is actually, this is my book from the first season of Top Chef, um, and it has, like, this is so funny, it has, like, in case of, um, in case of loss, please return to, and it has Sarah Bradley as a reward, $125,000, because that's what they Hilarious. gave away on my season. But, <laughs> oh, yeah, I still have that book. Um, you know, and this is this is another really interesting thing that happened on that episode that you didn't, you wouldn't have seen on TV. So normally they call the chefs out, and it's, I feel like it's usually decided who is the winner when they call up the winning team. Like the chefs they've already talked about, or the judges they've already talked about, it, they know who their winner is. I can't remember another episode, especially in this season, where they called everybody up and then they had to stop and deliberate and then say who the winner was. And I think it's because um, I think I, I'll say it flat out. I've said it to Buddha and, and Amar before. Um, I think that they thought I was the winner. They saw the front of the house staff. They definitely loved the Cullen skink dish. You know, Claire Smith said it was the highlight of the meal. And I think they were going to give it to me. And, um, and I'm not saying in anything bad or any, you know, anyway, this was Buddha's idea. It was his baby. You know, he had that idea and I'm so glad that he had it because it was such an amazing concept. And I think that when they heard it was his concept, they had to stop and think about what actually, you know, who, who was the winner? Like, yes, I did all the front of the house stuff. Yes. I probably had the best dish, but, um, you know, who, who was, who was the, the daddy or the mommy of this idea. And, you know, that, that played out in the finale too. Like, yeah, I had the three out of the four best dishes and yeah, you know, I, I had this really great emotional connection, but Buddha's meal altogether, he collectively served up something better than I did. And that's what happened in restaurant wars. He collectively provided, you know, our team, uh, the kind of the platform to stand on and win. So I, I think it was great that he won. I mean, I would have loved to take that win. We still all get $10,000. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think Buddha said in one of his confessional interviews that concept is what wins restaurant wars. Right. So would, would the Cullen skink dish have been made had it, had it not been the concept of, of United Kitchen to begin with? You know, there could be. Who knows? No, but, it would not, but probably no, it not. Would not have been. It would not. 100 percent would not have been Cullen skink. Um, yeah, would not have been. You know, and you you have about 10 minutes, which is not a lot of time for four chefs to like create a concept and decide who's going to cook what. And so, you know, when he when he opened that book of his and he had those ideas, man, it was like, it, you know, it was like, this is a great idea. Like, why? Why are we even there's no arguing like you, you have to do that as a as a chef and as a business owner. You have to recognize when somebody else has something really strong and you have to support that. And so I think that that's why our team 
dominated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dominated is the right word. So another another episode or another um, moment in the episode that I thought was really neat with you was in um, Tali time, episode ten, uh, with uh, Ozma Khan, and, and she was talking about her origin of, of being a cook, and it really hit you emotionally um, about wanting to create specific food memories for your kids, being a chef, and um, you know I related to that as you were saying that on TV, I, I kind of paused it and I was talking, and I, that it reminded me of, of me because I'm not a chef, I'm, but I am a foodie. And one thing that I love is, is when my grandkids come to visit me is, is trying to get them to, to try something new. And one of my favorite memories is taking them to dim sum for the first time when they were like three or four. And I have a picture of them trying to use chopsticks and eating chicken feet. And, and, and so that related to me of creating food memories for, for kids. And so in, in general with you, like how, how important is it to you as a chef to, to kind of get parents out of the, the kids, menu rut right I, I even looked at your menu at uh at freight house you don't have a kids menu on there we we have a very small kids menu which was drawn by um our general manager's daughter it has things like broccoli playing the banjo and like you know it's like this very fun kids menu um but the options are there are some like you know, kind of your standard kid options, like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or a grilled cheese sandwich. But you can also get like a really nice New York strip. You can also get like really nice, you know, you can get all these different things. And the options aren't just like, for, like we don't have chicken tenders. You know, we don't have buttered spaghetti. We don't have any of that stuff. Um, but my favorite thing that is on the children's menu is what we call a Lula plate named after my daughter. Um, we started doing it when my daughter was doing um, baby led weaning. And um, it's available. A, a lot of times we'll go out to the table and say, Do your kids eating food yet? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, are they allergic or can have they anything they haven't tried? And then we go in the back and we find every fruit. We do egg whites. We do cheeses. We do, we put blue cheeses. We put pickles. We put olives. We put all of this weird stuff that is the right texture and size for the age of the child on a plate. And we bring it out with a little tiny fork um, on a, on a real plate um, hold on a second. And then we, yeah, we, we give it over to the kids and the kids love it. They, I mean, these, we'll take it out and these parents will say, oh, they don't really like beets. And I'm like, why don't, why don't you just let your kid eat it and see if they like beets? And I tell you what, beets are one of the biggest hits for kids because they're this really beautiful color. They're very sweet. They're soft. They're like, there's everything that they love about food is right there in a vegetable. So that that is one of the things that, um, you know, if a child comes in and they're like, oh, I don't see anything. I'm like, what do you like? We will make you something. We will find something for you. Uh, we're a very kid friendly restaurant. A lot of people wouldn't think that about some that's a little more, you know, uh, like a restaurant like mine. But we're super kid friendly. We always give kids tours of the kitchen, take them in the back, show them where their food was cooked, how the servers ring it in. Um, I just, I think that you got to start young. So we try to really do that at the restaurant. Yeah. I, I'm a big believer in that is to, is to get kids off of the, the chicken tender train as soon as you can and, and get them exposed to different things. And they have a well-rounded palate by the time they're an adult. Um, Cause when I see, when I see picky adult, picky adult eaters, I'm like, yeah, you didn't, you weren't really adventurous uh, eating growing up. So, so yeah. when you said that on, on that episode, I identify with it. And I just thought that was a, a great moment too. So, um, so I want to talk about last chance kitchen. 
a little bit. So you, this is the first time you've been through the Last Chance Kitchen gauntlet. And really, for you, it was two challenges into the Last Chance Kitchen gauntlet before you came back. So tell me about that experience there. What, how does it feel being in Last Chance Kitchen versus the the Top Chef competition proper? Like, what what's the what's the adrenaline level in, in Last Chance Kitchen versus the regular? So, um, so Amara and I got kicked off. Um, after the, um, the Wellington, we got sent home after the Wellington, we woke up in the morning and went to go do, we went out with the, the, we went out with some of the chefs that had already been eliminated, um, woke up in the morning, cooked against Charbel. I won, took a little tiny break and Charbel and I cooked again. I won. I went home. They picked me up at like three in the morning to go and do the next challenge. It was three in the morning. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was like they picked me up because they were like, all right, she won. She's back in the competition. So they picked me up. They took me back to the competition. It was intense. Um, and I and I rolled right into that Trump Lloyd challenge. And I think I was a little fatigued. Uh, actually, I know I was a little a lot fatigued, but um, but I did it. And, uh, you know, it was so it was a big adrenaline. And I kind of walked away from the elimination with Amar. I was ready to go home. I was ready. I was done. I was over it. I wanted to see my family. I thought this is it. Uh, you know, I just, just send me home. And, um, then once I set foot in that kitchen, I thought, Oh my God, like, no, you know, I talked to my husband and he was like, if you don't go in there and do it as hard as you can, like this will have been a waste of time. So I went back in ready to just rock. And, um, and I did, you know, I mean, I cooked like a gumbo pot pie, like, which like, looked delicious, by the way. Oh, my God. So good. So good. Um, you know, and then I, then here I am, like, burning cabbage with bacon and apple butter. You know, like, I just was like, I'm going to stay true. You know what I mean? I mean, I served them cod with tater tots. Like, you know, like, I mean, it, it's I was like, you still got to have fun. You got to do the best you can do. And um, those two girls that I chose to help me do it were like, the dream team, dream team, those women, Sylvia and Nicole and I were very close and I was so happy to cook with them. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, it was really neat kind of seeing last chance kitchen was almost like a mini finale, uh, the way that that kind of worked out for you. So, so you get back into the main competition, you're like, I'm back bitches. And then all of a sudden it's this really intense challenge of molds. So what was uh, going through your mind? You're like, Oh my gosh, what did I just walk back into uh, again? Not knowing this at three in the morning. <laughs> Yeah. Well, they, they picked me up from like my hotel to take me back to like top chef set. So, I mean, I did really good in the, in the mold quick fire challenge. Um, you know, like I, I was in the top on that one. And then when they explained the challenge, it felt so, you know, I caught some slack on social media for this. Like people saying like, Oh, Sarah saying this isn't my food. This isn't my food. It's literally not like, there is nothing that I do in my restaurant or in my style of cooking that is trying to deceive someone into thinking they are eating something they are not. Like my whole style, my whole, the ethos of what I do is to be super about transparent about the ingredients and the products and the techniques. And so this one for me was like, you know, it was it was just out. It was out of left field. I literally was like in a panic with no idea what I was going to do. And, um, 
you know, I, I mean, some people have said like, oh, she did matzo ball soup twice. Listen, there's a million ways to do matzo ball soup. Um, you know, one of them is to not shape the matzo ball into the tamal and serve it. Um, you know, my tamals actually, they originally, they looked like one, like they were wrapped up in a banana leaf, like in the square shape, they looked perfect. And I got really nervous that the judges would not be impressed or wouldn't think it was like elevated enough if they had to sit there and like unwrap it and unfold it. And then they have these banana leaves, like, what do they do with it? Um, but what I should have done is left it all wrapped up and let it be steaming hot and then had like a salsa on the side. And when they took that salsa, which would have been diced carrot and celery and onion, like all the little broth, it would have looked like a salsa set with some gelatin. And when they put it on top of the hot tamale, it would have melted out. That's what I should have done. But hindsight, you know. I, I, one thing I thought was funny is when they were um, asking you about the dish, they said, so so the molds that you used on here, you're like, why did you use these molds? Like, oh, I don't know. Everybody else is using molds. I guess I got to use a mold. <laughs> yeah. that was, that's probably the most honest answer because there's so many times I see on judges' table where there, where chefs on the fly are trying to come up with an answer that they think the judges want to hear. Uh, but you're just like, I don't know. I just thought I had to use a mold. Everybody's using a mold, right? So I mean, we literally walked into the kitchen and there were like hundreds of molds everywhere. They were everywhere. I just thought like, that it was expected of me to use a mold. Um, but no, I didn't need a mold at all. I just, for some reason, I think Ali fell into that part too. Like he's going to make these little um, falafel turtles, you know, like they were like, we just thought we had to do it, but we, but we didn't. So. So, so I wanted to ask this too. So Buddha brings a thousand dollars worth of molds and is rewarded with two mold centric challenges. What are the chances? <laughs> Like how, how, how in advance do you know about these challenges? Uh, oh, settle, settle, settle a conspiracy theory for me, if you will. <laughs> you know, when it is announced, I mean, you know, that when you get to the eight, you're going to have restaurant wars and you know that, um, at, but you don't know, but most likely, you know, that two people are coming back from last year's kitchen. Like there's some things that happen that you know are going to happen. There's always going to be like one overnight cook. There's always going to be, you know, this kind of like rustic family style. There's some things like that, but the actual challenge, you know, when they tell it to you, and then you have this little short break, uh, like in a quick fire, maybe two or three minutes um, where they tell you all the rules. They make sure everyone understands and you go right back into it. The elimination, the rules are usually a little more intricate, but, um, at that point, it's not like a quick fire, you know, like you can be kind of conceptualizing the dish. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like when it happens, it, it happens. So yeah. I, I just thought it was really interesting that he brings all the molds and then he's like, oh, we're going to use molds on the next two challenges. I'm like, oh, OK. Oh <laughs> Listen, Buddha is a Buddha. Buddha is amazing. And he has really kind of, I mean, I don't want to say cracked the mold of like what is supposed to, you know, what oh, he, he hacked the show. He hacked the show. Yeah. <laughs> but he, you know, it, it, it was, it, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, um, you know, he, he is a scholar of top chef. Um, but the, uh, you know, I love the like spontaneity of cooking. Like I would say I am definitely someone from cook that cooks from the hip, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, like swinging my hips, dancing around, drinking wine, it's just a different style of chef, not to say one is better than the other. Um, but yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't come with molds unless you have 
dishes prepared to put in those molds. So I can only imagine that if he had a thousand dollars worth of molds, he had even more dishes in his back pocket ready to go in those molds. Cause I don't think he used them all, you know? Yeah. So that uh, brings us to kind of the, the finale round. How soon are you thinking about the finale menu as, as you're getting closer to that time? Is it, are, are you thinking maybe a few episodes? You're like, Oh man, I, I'm getting close. There's a possibility I could make it. I need to start thinking about it. Um, I mean, I went into the show with some ideas. Uh, we knew that we would be, like one of the things was like, listen, I got to tell my family where I'm going to be. They were like, okay, you're going to be in the United Kingdom. I was like, and then where's the finale? They were like, it's going to be in France. I was like, all right, cool. So I kind of thought, you know, like what are some dishes that are still true to my style, but can relate to like the, you know, France. And so, you know, just start thinking about like the Cuvillon, you know, like it, it's not hard for a Southern chef to, um, find you know influence of french cuisine in their food so you know like i kind of had that cuvillon thing um you know i had this history of burgu it was created by a french chef in kentucky like that's great i mean that is like how more regional southern can you get um you know that pea cake i had come prepared with that recipe memorized and i thought it would play out in london somewhere english peas you know um it didn't but um you know, it, it still, it worked perfectly and they loved it. Uh, you know, yeah. What a time to pull onion, that out. <laughs> yeah. And the, the liver and onion dish was not, that was not supposed to be the liver and onion dish. I mean, I had a different, it was not supposed to be calves liver and it wasn't, and wasn't even supposed to be sweetbreads. Um, you know, they didn't air, but it was supposed to be foie gras, um, which goes great with like sweet onions and, you know, and sweet things. And it was supposed to be foie gras. Um, but you have to get foie gras, like raw foie gras at a special store in London, I guess, or they, that protein was like not available at any of the stores that we went to because it wasn't a place where they sold it. So I, unbeknownst to me, being in the land of France, thinking I could get foie gras anywhere, came in with a dish in my head that I was never going to be able to execute. And so, um, yeah, so that one sucked. All back to the liver. I mean, that's interesting. Gabri was able to find the one Mexican store in Paris and you couldn't find foie gras. <laughs> I know. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, it was just, it was bizarre. I mean, even Buddha forever, he like struggled just to find he, his original dish was not lobster. I don't think it was lobster. I think it was scallops, like fresh scallops. He couldn't find them. Um, yeah. But I mean, you would think foie gras. So what I should have done, I've worked this out in my head a million times. I should have, <laughs> taken onions like whole onions split them in half um salt baked them, like covered the whole cut side and like just all kinds of foie terrine or torchon or whatever i could find and then like salt baked them so they would have like that fat would have cooked down in there and then it would have been liver and onions and i would have you know carved them beautifully and served them like that but you know that's what I've walked away from. Or I should have just done a completely different dish. There was absolutely no reason I had to be committed to liver and onions. I just felt like it, you know, told my story of, you know, like told part of my story. Um, yeah, and I'll and I'll have to think about it for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and brought up at every interview you'll ever do from I now know. until eternity. <laughs> 
So I think one of my favorite dishes from your finale menu was that burgoo, especially that rabbit roulade just looked fantastic. But I think my favorite part of it, because I couldn't taste it, obviously, was just watching everybody eat it, um, was when you told them, hey, that cornbread, um, that cornbread, you're going to break that up and put it in the beans. And everybody at the was like, oh, my God, this was perfect. And meanwhile, again, all of us in the South were like, Welcome to the party. Beer's in the cooler. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. we, we, this is not new to us, but it's it's always so interesting to watch in this international episode how people took to southern southern cooking and southern uh, ways of preparing preparing food, and and that was just a microcosm of that, I, and I thought it was really great. Yeah, when I was plating up those beans, so those were cocoa beans, and I'd never had them, and. Um, the guest judge, Helene DeRose, like when I told her, I was like, and these are these like white French beans. She was like, Sarah, these are cocoa beans. These are the best beans in the world. And I was like, I mean, they literally were the best beans in the world I have ever had. They were so good. They were fresh. They had a very short season. I got super lucky. Um, yes. You know, like, I mean, here I am. And then I remember, I don't remember who it was. One of the other chefs was like, those beans are pretty soupy. And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. Like I remember cooking the beans and wanting to make sure there was enough liquid so that when I put them all into the little cocotes and then I could top them with a little extra, like, I guess we could call it like bean juice because I, I knew that. I mean, I've been eating white beans and cornbread my whole life. And so I knew that it needed that. And if they were too dry and you put that cornbread in there, it would just be, you know, it would set up too much. So, um, yeah, that was that dish is was so beautiful. I loved that dish. Um, yeah, it looks so home. Really, yeah, and you know, like uh, a lot of the judges said, like here they are, like hello, Helen Duro. She's she says, I'm sitting here having a four course meal from three chefs. I've got twelve courses to eat, and I for some reason could not stop eating this big container of beans. Like you know, she ate like all of the beans just because, you know, just because, because it was delicious. And so, you know, that, that dish was wonderful and I loved it. And, um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to cook that one again. We'll see yeah, that, what goes on the menu. That one. Oh, I hope it does. That'd be great. Um, so I, w- I want to talk about Elaine Ducasse coming onto the boat. Were, were you surprised? Because they made it a point. They really tried to drive home the point that he's not coming. And then he, I think they said it twice in the episode. And then here he comes. He shows up. So how, how cool is that for you? So cool. I mean, I think they, you know, and they were like really sad too. They were like, oh, you know, you're going to cook on Elaine Dacosta's boat. We're all like, they're like, but he is not going to be able to join us. We're so sorry. He sends his apologies. And in the time of like COVID, you just get that. Like people get sick and they can't do things. So we're thinking like, oh, there he was, you know, they were like, he was supposed to be there, but he's not going to be there. Padma was so sad, you know, oh, so, and, um, yeah. And when he popped on the boat, like he came down the steps and I looked around the corner and I saw him and I was like looking at all the other chefs thinking like, is anybody else seeing this? Does anybody else see what's happening? Like you guys, am I the only one? Am I, am I recognizing the wrong person? Like this is him. Right. And then, um, finally they all saw him also. And it was just, it was so cool. I mean, talk about meeting someone you've looked up to for years that has shaped food. I mean, that was it. Yeah. One thing I thought was really funny. You said is uh, when Elaine Ducasse tells you to peel your mushrooms, you peel your mushrooms. Yep. 
Because you're asking, I was like, should I do this? He said, yeah, you should. Okay. (laughs) Well, not only did I peel my mushrooms, but he also asked me if I chopped my duck cell by hand or with a machine. And I was like, with a machine, with the RoboCoo. Like I have a limited amount of time. And he was like, oh. So I went back, I peeled mushrooms and I chopped them by hand and made duck cell again. Because what if... And I, part of it was because he told me to, but the other part of it was like, okay, well, they're going to have him saying this. And if I get sent home because this duck cell is not good, they're going to have like every like um, sound bite they need to be like, Sarah, he gave you all the tools to make the proper duck cell and you didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about Padma's departure from the show a little bit uh, from Top Chef as host and executive producer. So you saw that on, on Instagram probably the same time everybody else did. Um, so what were your thoughts? Did you have any inclination during filming that this was going to be your last season or did it catch you by surprise like everybody else did? No clue. No clue. I mean, she was um, – very emotional and um at the end of it and and tom did have lead like a very large toast with all of the staff all i'm gonna say staff like with all the chefs with all of the crew he led a pretty big toast and um you know i've never heard of him doing that before he didn't do it on my first season Uh, you know thanking everyone for all of the time and energy and when i look back on it now maybe it was maybe there were clues but um but no, not at the time. No clue. And I found out at the same time as everybody else. Um, and, uh, you know, I was actually doing like a Instagram live and it came out and like my phone is like blowing up. And then people start asking me about it on Instagram live. And I'm like, hey, you guys, like, I don't know. I'm hearing it at the same time as everybody else. But I'm super excited for her. I think that um, that was a that's a long time. You know, she's been on 19 seasons and, um, you know, we 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 can't. I think we all have this connection to Padma because she is um, she is scary and um, compassionate scary. at the same time. She's scary. <laughs> you don't you don't want to disappoint her. You don't want you are fearful of um, upsetting her or not fear. You're you just you want to do good for her. Like she has this like compassion that you want to see her be proud of you and you don't want to do bad. You're scared of her comments, but you like seek her praise so much. So um, it's she's like a it's a, that's what they need in a new judge. They need someone that is able to elicit all of those um, like all of those you know emotions. And um, I, I think they're gonna have. I don't think it will be. It's gonna be hard to find somebody as good as Padma, but I know that they will. You know, and I know that they've already. They've already signed They've already signed up for twenty one. They've yeah, already yeah. said they're doing it. So I, I have no clue. If somebody knows, they're not talking. Who would be on your short list as a as a host? Putting you on the spot. So if you don't want to answer, I understand. But who would be on your short list? Um, you know, I think uh, there's there's quite a few Top Chef alums. Um, you know, I think Kristen Kish would be amazing. She um, has. I've, I've, I've met her many times. Just, she has such an amazing personality. She, um, is not hard to look at at all. Um, you know, like she, uh, she kind of, and she understands food, like she gets food and she gets top chef. Uh, you know, she's done it and won it. So I think she would be great. 
Um, you know, I don't know. I think that it would be, I think it would kind of be fun to have someone that, uh, you know, doesn't really know exactly what is going on. It's gotta be somebody who's hosted and who gets the, uh, you know, the, and the kind of the ins and outs of it, but I don't think it needs to be like some super, super, super chefy person. I think it just needs to be somebody that's a foodie. I think it might be really interesting. I also, I, I'm scared for the new contestants because we all know Padma loves spicy food, right? We all know Padma, like, be careful when you cook Indian food. We know all these little intricacies about her palate and the next person is an unknown. So it's like having a new judge every single day. Yeah, 21 is going to be really interesting for those exact reasons, because you're right, Padma is a known entity and people know what she likes, what she doesn't like. But yeah, you're coming in with a new person and assuming they're going to be a judge and a host. Yeah, you have no idea their palate or what they're going to like or not like. It's it's going to be a roller coaster. So if Top Chef were to call you back for season 30 Galactic Multiversal All-Star Masters, (laughs) would, would you would you go for a third run? Okay, so if they called me and asked me to do this season, I'd be like, no way. If they called me in a couple years and asked me to do one, probably not. But if I was going to get to do, like, season 30, like, like we're going to Mars to cook space food. I I say I'd never do it again. I I probably would do it again. I really – I love competition. Um, You know, I I love competition, and I love how compassionate the competition – is on Top Chef. We really want to see each other do well. We really hate to see anyone be eliminated. Um, you know, we're all chefs and we're all trying to achieve the same goal. And I think that over the years we've seen it where it's much easier and much more um, inviting if you just lift each other up instead of putting each other down. So I, I could imagine that in 10 years, um, what the show would be, I probably would do it. Yeah, I probably would. <laughs> awesome. Love to see you back on. So I want to close out with a couple of uh, final quick fire questions. I'm just going to ask a question. You come, you answer with whatever pops in your brain first. So All right. you ready? You ready? Okay. okay. Guest judge you want to have drinks with? Oh, guest judges I want to have drinks with. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Uh... Probably uh, John Calipari, <laughs> but that's from season 16. But yeah, I want to I want to have drinks with him and try to understand his um, his basketball game. Okay, good. Uh, favorite chef testing dish that wasn't yours from season 20. Oh, from season 20. Um, I'm gonna go with um, probably um, Charbel's onion. It was. It oh, just, that did look good. It, I, I'm telling. I love onions. Are my favorite vegetable. Favorite, hands down. Charbel's onion. Okay. Least favorite quick fire challenge ever that you participated in. Um, I will go with the. I'll do the steam challenge from this season, where we only had like one gallon of water. Um, man, that guest judge. He just. He just tore me apart. Just. Tore Tore me apart. Um, and you know, it's because I veered away from Southern cooking and I tried to do something Asian because I had an Asian steamer basket, you know, time, time, uh, time got me on that one. Um, that one sucked. That one was silly. Yeah. <laughs> silly. Most regrettable ingredient that Gabri burned. 
um, most regrettable. You know, I just, I feel, I feel for him. I think he probably burned his beans like three times and it just feels like one of those things he should be able to cook. He always tried to cook beans in the pressure cooker. And, um, you know, that is why I don't really work with dried beans. We only use beans when they're in season. Um, and yeah, and I don't think I've ever cooked a bean in the pressure cooker. Yeah. Sorry, man. All those beans. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I felt for him. At one point, I wanted to shake him by the shoulders and go, man, get it together. <laughs> yeah, I will say the best bean moment of the whole season, though, was when Gabri like, burned his beans on the finale and had to use canned beans. And then Padma was like, oh, these beans are so delicious. And I was like, those are canned beans. Those are canned beans. But that was Hilarious. probably the best bean moment. All right, last one. Favorite filming location from season 20? Oh, uh, favorite filming location from season 20. Mm, I'll give you two for the for the fun one. It was Tottenham Spurs Stadium. I'm I love football. I love soccer. I love all those things. I'm a huge sports person. I loved the setup of that elimination challenge. I thought it was super cool, and I'd never seen it happen on Top Chef before. But just for like the sheer, um, like enjoy, like the sheerness of all of it, it was definitely cooking on Elaine Dacosta's boat, like under the Eiffel Tower popping champagne bottles and spraying each other with them, making it to the finale. That was just so cool. That's a life, that's a life memory. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like a core, a core memory. Yep. Yep. That'll live with you for, for a while. Yeah. Awesome. So before we close out, I want to give you an opportunity to plug whatever projects you got going on, where people can find you. I just want to roll out the red carpet for you. So what's going on that people should know about? Uh, I just started working on a cookbook. It's, I mean, just started working, but we're getting it together and um, it's going to be really, it's going to be really fun. And it's going to have a lot of like the quirkiness that I possess um, will be in there. And a lot of those dishes that people have seen and want to know how to cook, those will exist in that book. Uh, you know, you definitely need to come to Freight House and check me out. I'm in Paducah, Kentucky, um, which is in the middle of nowhere, but still close to every single thing you could imagine. Um, yeah. And, you know, I have this really great kind of, um, bourbon selection. We, you know, we cook seasonal food, um, like hyper local, uh, yeah, you know, come, come to Freight House and check us out. Uh, and then don't forget to follow me on TikTok and Instagram. Cause, um, right now I'm just about a thousand followers behind Buddha and I'm constantly ch- and like, listen, if I can't beat him on Top Chef, maybe I can get more followers on him <laughs> than him on Instagram. That's like the only thing I'm holding on to right now. So go over there and follow me. <laughs> is, it, uh, is it at Chef Sarah Bradley, right? Is at that the at Chef Sarah Bradley. Yep. At Chef Sarah Bradley, both on TikTok and Instagram. And, you know, I have like I do. I think I make really amazing content, lots of like very quick tips, lots of cooking videos, um, you know, very, very few baby pictures sprinkled in there. But really good content um that you want to eat eat your content <laughs> thanks thanks for the plug no i have problem, stalked your I, I have stalked your uh, your instagram it is very entertaining and very helpful um i, I especially like where you were like recapping your dishes from top chef it's like okay here's what i could have done or should have done or here's how you make yeah. it and you shared your pea cake recipe on instagram which was which yeah. was great so awesome so thank you so much for your time i, I appreciate everything um for chef bradley i am host rich herrera for eat your content uh be sure to like and follow on instagram at eat your content and at rich herrera and follow us on your podcast player of choice to be notified of new and upcoming episodes. So again, Chef Bradley, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, Excited for your bear recaps. 
I can't watch that show. It's too traumatic for me. I live that oh. life and, and I can't do it. I was going to say a lot of chefs that I know locally here in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, I asked, they watched, they said, I've watched one episode and I couldn't do it. It was, it, it just brought up too many <laughs> traumatic things going for me, but, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking forward to recapping it. And if you ever want to, you know, break down an episode with me, you know, let me know and I'll be happy to have you back on the pod. That'd be great. All right. cool. <laughs> I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much All for right. having me, Rich. All right. Thanks. Later on.